Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. On Thursday night, we met at the Johnson's house for a zip code dinner. Some of you remember what those are. We had a zip code dinner on Thursday night, and people asked, well, what are you talking about? And I said, well... I'm talking about what really gets El Shaddai mad. And everybody started guessing. Well, is it this? Is it that? Is it the other thing? And they were close. Everybody was close. Ben, are you here? Ben's gone out somewhere. Okay. Ben gave the the punchline away at the very beginning. He said, it's believe. You know, if I said to you, our biggest sin is unbelief, not believing the God of the Bible, you'd say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a believer. Look at me. I, I, I trusted in Jesus. I said the prayer. I know who Jesus is. I'm a believer. No, no, that's not me. But we're going to look in Scripture today. We're going to look at, we're going to do a fast track, 27 chapters in 50 minutes. We're going to get an overview from Genesis to Numbers of the children of Israel. God's chosen people. He picked them before the foundation of the world just like he picked you and me. He picked us before the foundation of the world that we would believe. He wanted us to believe. He wanted us to trust. He wanted us to put everything in. He wanted us to be all in with him. And not to question him. When we read these chapters, the Parshas, day by day, as as Rusty was saying, we get to some of this stuff and we get right over the head. We have no frame of reference. We read the chapter and we say, well, it's done. What's next? And God wants us to study. Study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. We've all been to a pass. I think most of us have been to the Passover Seder. We all have seen movies like the Ten Commandments. We have a basic idea of what happened in the book of Exodus and the leaving from from Egypt. Um, And I'm going to just hit on some highlights chapter by chapter to try to help us get a, get a feel for what the problem is. And I'll tell you what. As I was studying this, I was going along, boom, 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 boom. I, this, has been, this has been coming over the last year and a half. This is what we're, what we're looking at here. I, I, I teach every, every Sunday morning at the nursing home, and I go chapter by chapter through the, through the Torah with the, with the people, pointing to them, pointing Yeshua to them so they can see Messiah in the Old Testament. As I was putting this together, I got halfway through, and all of a sudden, God said, it's you, Dan. You've got the unbelief. You had the unbelief. It's part of your past, part of your history. And we'll share that a little later on. Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise. Adonai said to Abraham, get going out of your land to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation. By the time of the Exodus, the Abrahamic covenant was 450 years old. Eleven generations had gone by. And just to put it in perspective, what was your family doing in 1600? Well, certainly there was a land deal going on somewhere. What did, what did your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, how many cattle did he have? Who were his children? What, was he, what were the issues in his life? That's the perspective. The children of Israel here in Egypt, thinking back 450 years to Abraham. Well, they'd heard the stories of Abraham. They knew the promises. But it wasn't relevant because here they were, 11 generations later, sitting in slavery. We're going to be a great nation. Where's God in all this? 
It doesn't make any sense. Great nation, where are they? That's not us. It says, El Shaddai hears the cry of his people. He set apart a baby boy. The children of Israel have been crying for 300 years, I think. Okay? Crying out to God, saying, God, where are you? Help us, help us. And God says, okay, okay, I, I, I got it. Okay, I'm going to help you. I'm going to pick Moses. Moses, in 80 years, you're going to be the deliverer. Come on. You and I are time-bound, aren't we? We look at God's promises and we say, okay, God, you know, I, I prayed about this yesterday. I, I don't see any, any results. Where are you? God is not bound by time like you and I are. Forty years he lived in Egypt. He worked as a, went through their, their best schools, learned about all, learned about all their gods. Yes, he did. Learned about all their gods, all their, all their incantations. He learned, he was in the best schools that Egypt had. He became a, a warrior in Egypt, in Egypt. He rode, he led troops in the, into battle. He knew how to ride and drive the chariot. He knew all those things. And he killed an Egyptian. And he fell out of favor. And he ran for his life. And for the next 40 years, God got Egypt out of Moses as a shepherd. Okay, got, him, got it out of him. 40 years as a shepherd. Tending a flock of sheep. Until finally God called him and said, it's time. I can finally. 40 years ago, he wanted to be the deliverer. Now at 80, he says, no, not me, not me. It's got to be somebody else. God said, no, it's you. I'm ready. To, you, I can finally use you. I can finally use you. Exodus 3.16, Moses is told to go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the name they'd heard before. They knew the name. I have seen what is done to you in Egypt, so I, I promise... God's making a promise. God is not a man that he should lie. So I promise I will bring you out of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now they knew who these tribes were even after 450 years in Egypt because the Egyptians were constantly fighting with these tribes. They knew that the strength of these, of these enemies of Egypt were. And God was going to take him over there to the promised land to be with these enemies of Egypt. Exodus 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Israel had been exposed to the Egyptian worship for 450 years. Some had practiced it. Some believed it. Some of the Hebrews had made it their own. Over the next 12 months, El Shaddai systematically obliterated any hope of deliverance by the gods of the Egyptians or their idolatrous priesthood. El Shaddai was trying to get Egypt out of Israel. He was trying to show them there's nothing here. There's nothing here for you. These, God, these so-called gods cannot help you. They cannot deliver you. Chapter 7, verse 19. The river Nile was the water-bearing giver of life. And we know what happened there. It was turned to blood. And all the, all the fish and so forth died in the river. They were, the river Nile was unable to resist the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Chapter 8, verse 1, the frogs came. This was a goddess. Beautiful woman with the head of a frog. She was a goddess of fertility. She was, it was a capital crime. It was a capital crime in Egypt to hurt a frog. And the frogs were in their beds, in their kneading bowls, throughout their houses. How do you clean up a house full of frogs without hurting a frog? An impossibility. The next one was the gnats. You've heard from dust, from dust to dust. This, is, this was their god for that, okay? He was... He was uh, the gnats were, got into the people's eyes, got into their noses, into their ears. The magicians, the magicians of Egypt said, hey, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, hang, hang on. This is the finger of God. 
Okay? There's no, no doubting, no doubting this. And all these things happen to everybody. The Hebrews in Goshen, the Egyptians in Egypt, happened to everybody. And finally God said, okay, I'm going to begin proving to Israel how much I love them, to the Hebrew people how much I love them. They're going to now see with their eyes, hear with their ears what I'm doing to these people over here, and it's not going to touch them. He is beginning to woo Israel as a lover would. The flies came. The flies was represented by the, as the god of creation, the one who moved the sun. They would, these flies, oh, can you imagine this? They fastened themselves to your eyelids, bit and laid eggs in your eyelids, okay? These were nasty, nasty critters. The people hated it, okay? The next one was a goddess, beautiful lady, the head of a cow. She was supposed to protect the flocks and the, and the herds, and they had something probably akin to anthrax go through the go through the animals and kill them all, okay? All the animals of Egypt, all the, the livestock. Chapter 9, verse 9, the boils came, the goddess of medicine and peace. By the time the boils got there, the only people standing was Aaron and Moses. Pharaoh was, couldn't stand on his feet. He had boils on the bottoms of his feet. The priests weren't there because they were unclean. They were covered in boils as well. And still, Pharaoh hardened his heart. The next one was the hail, rain, fire, and thunder, the goddess of the, the, goddess of the sky. And in the midst of judgment, this is, this is how God is, in the midst of judgment on Egypt, God extended grace. God could have wiped out everything, but no. God took out, it was early in the year, he took out the flax and the barley, took out their clothing, and took out their libations, their drinks. Didn't take away their food. They still had an opportunity to repent, but they chose not to. Israel is untouched. Egypt is suffering. They did not repent. Chapter 10, the locust came, storm, the god of storms and disorder. This was the judgment. Pharaoh was overwhelmed. He, he said, you know, bring it on, bring it on. And when it came on, he was blown away because they filled, they, the locust filled the houses of the Egyptians. They filled the houses and everything that was green, including all the wheat, was gone. Pharaoh cried out to Moses and said, I've sinned against you and against God. Please ask God to forgive me. And he changed his mind again and said, no, you can't go. You've got to stay Chapter 10, verse 21, the most revered God in all of Egypt was the sun. Pharaoh was the representative of the, of the sun, and God brought darkness over Egypt. Land of Goshen, they had sunshine. He sent messengers over there to check. It was sunshine in Goshen. But in Egypt, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. For three days, was, do you think Pharaoh was embarrassed? I mean, he's in charge of the sun. Come on. He was, humi he was humiliated, mortified, and still he hardened his heart. And finally, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh was a god in the eyes of the Egyptians. He could not stop the death of his own son, who was also a god. He finally calls Moses into the chamber. Moses comes in and he says, take, take your people, take your animals, take everything you've got. Get out of here. But before you go, bless me. Ask your father, ask God to bless me. He's finally recognizing that there is a God in heaven. Chapter 12, verse 33 to 36. The Egyptians urged the people, send them out to the land quickly or we will all be dead. They were terrified. The Egyptians were terrified. You heard the testimony this morning about the, the uh, dream. He was terrified of end times. Well, this was end times for them. They said, if, if Moses stays, we're all dead. Israel gathered their stuff up. They're running out of town, and they're stopping at houses as they go, and they say to the Egyptians, 
You got any gold or silver or cloth or anything you can give me? And they gave him everything. They gave him everything. 400 years worth of wages they received in a day. They plundered the Egyptians just like God said to them, you will plunder the Egyptians. Just to give you an idea, the next slide, please. The size of the, of the country of Egypt at the time. Egypt had property into Libya, down south into the Sudan, into Ethiopia. They fought the Nubians, they fought the Libyans, they fought the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Girgashites. They had all the land of the Sinai all the way up the, the eastern coast of the Mediterranean. They owned it all. They were controlling it all. And when Moses came after the children of Israel, after the 10th plague, he came with 600 chariots and 10,000 mercenaries. Moses had 600,000 men of conscription age, and they ran because they knew the power of the Egyptians. They knew the power of that army. Chapter 12, then B'nai Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot, with 600 men on foot as well as children. All you Gentiles in here, there was a mixed multitude. We were there. There was a mixed multitude in there. Went up with them, along with the flocks, herds, and livestock. They had seen the gods of the Egyptians impotent, unable to do anything against the God of Israel. And they said, you know, if the God of Israel is going that way, we're probably going to go with him. Because it might be safer to be with him than with these guys. El Shaddai was taking leadership of his bride. Chapter 13, verse 21. Adonai went before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light so they could travel both day and night. Oh, listen to this, verse 22. You ask, where is God? Where is God in all this? Where is he? The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never departed from the people. You could look up and you could see that cloud, you could see that fire anytime, 24-7. That fire was always, that cloud was always there. God was saying, hey, I'm here. I'm the same guy that took care of the Egyptians. Remember that? I am here, I'm with you, I got you back. They got let out, they, they went down a narrow gorge. Came, came between the mountains, had mountains on both sides, and they camped out. And here, there was the Red Sea in front of them. They thought, wow, this is a nice place to spend the night. Nice and safe. Listen to this, listen to this. They were following a pillar of cloud. A pillar of cloud took them there. That wasn't Moses' idea. He said, come on, guys, the cloud's going this way. Let's, let's go, come on, come on. The next morning, they saw the Egyptians coming. At first, they saw the cloud of dust in the, in the air first, and they said, is there a sandstorm coming? And they could hear the chariots. They could hear the foot soldiers. And the terror began. Proverbs 18, 21, the life, life and death is in the tongue. There it is, right there. Did we not tell you, say to you in Egypt, let us alone? It's better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They were speaking a curse over their own heads. How often do we say that to ourselves? How often do we curse ourselves? God doesn't want us to curse ourselves. Verse 13. What he says here appears 80 times in the scriptures. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Moses said, don't be afraid. Stand still and see the Yeshua of Adonai. See the salvation of the Lord. 
which he will perform for you today, you will never see the Egyptians again, ever. Get your swords out, you're going to go fight the Egyptians. That's not what he said. He said, Adonai will fight for you while you shut up. <laughs> shut up. They were grumbling, they were murmuring, they were complaining. They were saying, oh, woe is me. And Moses said, just be quiet. El Shaddai was the unmistakable protector of his bride as he is courting his bride. The Red Sea opens. Israel is delivered. Next slide, please. Chapter 15, and they sang the song of Moses. A song to Adonai. I will sing to Adonai, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider is thrown into the sea. The bride responds to the protector groom. She's delighted with her groom. He has protected her. He has delivered her. Everything he said has come true. Three days later, chapter 15. Moses led Israel from the Sea of Reeds into the wilderness of Shur. After three days, they found no water. Coming tomorrow, the water was bitter, and they complained. They grumbled. They murmured. They spoke curses over their own heads. What are we going to drink? And I showed him a tree to throw in the waters to be, till the water could become sweet. And there he tested them. And the verse that goes with that is there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. And he said, are we listening? El Shaddai said, if you diligently listen, listen. If you diligently listen to the voice of Adonai, your God, do what is right in his eyes. Pay attention to his mitzvot. Keep his decrees. I will put none of the diseases. Remember the Egyptians? All those diseases they got? None of that's going to come your way if you listen and if you obey. And if you don't listen and obey, you'll be sorry. For I am Adonai who heals you. God was trying to heal the Egyptians the children of Israel from the 400 years of captivity, 400 years of slavery, God wanted to heal their minds and heal their spirits, heal their, their, their persons. But they wouldn't let him. 30 days into their trip, chapter 16, verse 1, on the 15th day of the second month, the whole congregation of B'nai Israel murmured, against Moses, Aaron, in the wilderness, saying, a curse on their own head. If only we had died by the hand of Adonai in Egypt. Have you brought us out here to kill the entire congregation with hunger? Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death is in the tongue. Chapter 16, verse 4, Adonai said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven. I am the groom. I am going to take care of my bride. The people will go out and gather a day's portion every day so I can test them to find out whether they will walk according to my Torah or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather day by day. He's wooing his bride by providing her nourishment. The test of obedience. Six days they were together at sunrise, one omer for each person. Only one day's gathering until the sixth day when they gathered two omer. I'm guessing here, okay? The manna was going to last about 15 hours. After 15 hours, it's going to go bad, it's going to go rancid, it's going to get wormy. They gathered, some of them gathered way too much. They said, oh, look at all this food. We're going to pick this up, pick this up. We got two, three, four omers put in their tent. Wow, we're, we're set for at least three, four days. 
And the next morning, everybody knew who had taken too much because they could smell it. They could smell it everywhere. Oh, the children of Israel hadn't listened and they weren't obeying. On the seventh day, you look out, there's somebody over there trying to gather around. There's people there looking. Look at those people. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? God said, don't eat the fruit. It's just one little thing. Got them kicked out of the garden. God laid it out for them. Told them, listen. Listen, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. By the way, I did some research. You'll love this. An omer is little more than a half a gallon. There, you've got it. You always wondered what an omer is. Okay? Now, this is, this is one of those nuggets that, that popped up as I was working through this over the last year and a half. Every day, for 14,400 days, El Shaddai provided Israel with manna and water and occasionally with meat. Forty years. Is he dependable? And they doubted him. They doubted him. We're going to see even more doubting going on. By the time... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. Um, by the time they got to the promised land, 40 years later, there was no more Egypt left in anybody. All the Egypt had been driven away because all those folks who had lived in Egypt, where were they? They were all dead. You can get Israel out of Egypt, but it's hard to get Egypt out of Israel. Chapter 17, 1. Bnei Israel camped at Rephidim, but there was no water to drink. They quarreled with Moses. Give us water. They were testing Adonai again. People complained, have you brought us out here to kill us of thirst? Proverbs 18, 21, life and death is in the tongue. Chapter 17, verse 5, Adonai says to Moses, okay, Moses, we got two million people here. They can't all see you, okay? So get the 70 elders, gather the 70 elders, and take the 70 elders with you so they can see exactly what you do. Because you're going to go back to your, they're going to go back to their camps, to their, their tribes, and they're going to report to the people what they see. He took the 70 elders to the rock. Huge rock. I've seen, if you, if you go online, what was the name of that? that, that could be. Go online and, and, and type, type in there, uh, water from the rock, okay? And you'll see pictures. You will see pictures of a rock that's split in two at the base of Mount Horeb. And at the base of that rock that's split in two, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, four-story building, okay? Split into, at the base of that mountain, that rock, there is a path where the water flowed for years and wore out the banks. He said, follow me. He struck the rock. Water will, co water will come out. And so it was for the people to drink. Moses did just so in the eyes of the elders of Israel. They tested out. They tested out an eye again. Is Adonai among us or not? The cloud was right there. Now the rock was split in half. The manna was coming every day. Is, is, is Adonai here? I, I don't see Adonai. I can't find him anywhere. Chapter 20, 21, 22, 23. It's the Ten, Ten Commandments. Chapter 21, 2, and 3 are the case law examples. In chapter 20, now listen, ladies. Chapter 20, when God gives out the Ten Commandments, that's the ketubah. That's the marriage contract. He wants to marry this country. He wants to marry these people. Chapter 23, verse 20. This is precious. Okay? Behold. This is a promise. He's God. El Shaddai, the Almighty, is making a promise to Israel right now. He says, I'm sending an angel before you to guard you. Fear not. I'm with you. Okay? 
to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. I know where I'm taking you, and this angel I'm sending is going to take you there. Watch for him. Listen to his voice. Do not rebel against him because he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Chapter 10 of John, verse 3. The sheep hear my voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger but will run away from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. Verse 16, Gentiles. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Jesus was sent, Yeshua was sent to the lost tribe of the house of Israel. He wasn't allowed, he wasn't permitted to go to the Gentiles. But Jesus, Yeshua, knew even then but there were other sheep. That's you and me. Those of us who are not Jewish. Not from this fold. Those also I must lead. And they will listen to my voice. So there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Chapter 23 of Exodus. Verse 22. If you listen closely to his voice. And do everything I say. Listen to this. You can read it. I will be the enemy of your enemies, adversary of your adversaries. El Shaddai is going to be that. For my angel will go before you, and he's going to bring you to the Amorites, the Hittites. Now, how can the angel do that? How can the angel lead you from where you are today all the way to the Promised Land, 325 miles, across the Arabian Desert, no water, no food, no provisions. Because God has a plan. El Shaddai has a plan. El Shaddai has already said, I'm going to take care of all of that stuff. You ever been on a, you ever been on a cruise? Did you have to pack your food on a cruise? No. They got it all there. Well, how about, well, I've got to take, bring along some entertainment. No. No, the entertainment's there. Everything you need is on that boat. And God is saying, hey, I'm taking you from here to there. I got the whole trip planned. All you got to do is show up. Chapter 23, verse 24. Oh, listen, hang on, back, back up, back up. Okay. The very end of that. There you go. He's going to take them to the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and who's going to kill them all? El Shaddai. God's going to take care of them. He didn't say, get your swords ready, sharpen your swords, get your shields out. He says, I'm going to take care of them. I will cut them off. And what are you to do, Israel? When you get into the land, verse 20, chapter 23, verse 24. You, you're going to walk into town and you're going to see some gods there. And your temptation, your temptation is going to be, this is the god of this city? Let's, let's make an offering to this god so he's on our, on our side. God's saying, ah, no, 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 none of that. Don't bow down to their gods or serve them or do what, what, do what they do. Rather, okay, can you see the idol? Smash it. Eat it with a hammer, into dust. When you see the fertility pillars, don't take it into your tent and say, ooh, this will make a nice planter. Break it in pieces. Break it in pieces. You are to serve Adonai, your God, and he will bless your food and your water. Moreover, I will take sickness away from your midst. None of you will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fill up the number of your days. You're going to live a long life if you obey me. I will send... Okay, listen to this. This is the best part. 
This is, this is, this is El Shaddai telling Israel before they ever get anywhere close to the promised land how they're going to conquer the land. I will send my terror before you and throw all the people to whom you will come into, pan into a panic and make all your enemies turn their backs to you and they will run for their lives. Chapter 23, 28. I will send the hornets before you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites. The hornets in Israel, it's been told, are, have a sting that will take down a horse. Okay? You've got no problem with these guys. The hornets are going to take care of them. They'll be running from the hornets. I will drive them out before you. In a, I will not drive them out before you in a single year, but little by little, El Shaddai will drive them out before you until you are fruitful. Then you will possess the land. 2331. I will set your borders from the Sea of Reeds to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness of the Euphrates, for I will deliver. El Shaddai is going to deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you are to drive them out before you. Next slide, please. Israel today is 8,000 square miles. That's what God promised them. That's a piece of, of real estate about the size of Texas. 250,000 square miles. Chapter 24. El Shaddai cuts a covenant with Israel. Israel agrees to follow El Shaddai. Says to Moses, okay, today's the day. We're getting married. It's our wedding day. Ketubah's ready to be signed. Set up 12 pillars for the 12 tribes. Build an altar. Sacrifice the cattle. Collect the blood. They start early in the morning. They collect the blood. God, El Shaddai says, okay, my half of the blood, I want you to pour it around the base of the altar. He doesn't wait for the vows because he's saying, hey, I'm all in. As a groom, I'm there. I'm ready. The bride, she hears the ketubah again. She agrees to follow El Shaddai for the second time. Half of the blood is distributed between the 70 elders. And they go out and they sprinkle it on the people. Now, Something you need to remember. Their clothes, they got blood stain on their clothes. How, how hard is that to get out? Pretty hard. You know what? Their clothes didn't wear out. For 40 years. Every day they put on the same clothes. Blood stains were still there. To remind them of who they were and who they'd promised to follow. Who, there it is, right there. Remind you who you're married to. El Shaddai was now the husband of Israel. He had courted Israel for 450 years. The ketubah was written in, with the 10 words. The blessings and cursings were understood. Israel has agreed to have El Shaddai as their God. El Shaddai has waited since the fall of Adam and Eve, like we talked about this morning. He wanted a relationship with mankind. And here we are finally, a group of people who said, yes, I do. He has provided as a husband would. He has provided for them. He's protected them. He's guided them. He's delivered them. They belong to him legally. Chapter 25. The husband, okay, girls, is ready to move in. Make me an offering. And he starts to list some things that he could use. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet cloth, fine linen, goat hair, ram skin, dyed red, seal skin, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, sweet incense, onyx stones. Oh, whoa, while you're at it, make me a sanctuary so I can dwell among them. You are to make it all, this is talking to Moses now. Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days. 
And he saw, he saw the Mishkan in heaven. He saw it in heaven. He saw all the instruments. He saw the candelabra. He saw the, the ark. He saw the uh, incense table. He saw it all. And God said, okay, Moses, pay close attention. I want every detail exactly like the original. Moses was up there for 40 days. What happened down below? Chapter 32, verse 1. Get up! Make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. He's gone. He's not around. So Aaron said, break off the gold rings and the ears from your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Next slide, please. I couldn't figure out where God was. This is this this page right here. God smacked me in the forehead. And he said, Dan, that's you. That was you twenty years ago. The top of the mountain was ablaze. That was the pillar of fire by day. It never departed. God was right there on top of the mountain. They were going out every morning collecting the manna. The water was still flowing, giving water to two million people and their animals and flocks. They were resting at the bottom of Mount Horeb, God's mountain. And they said, gee whiz, I don't know where God is. I don't He hasn't done anything for me today, nothing new today. Chapter 32, verse 4, Aaron made a golden calf. And they said, this is your God, which brought you up out of Egypt. Aaron saw it and built an altar. Next page. Chapter 32, we know the golden calf story. Exodus 20, verse 3 and 4, you shall have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourselves a graven image. They did it. The... the, the the sacrifice, the original ketubah was 40 days old. They had just, they were newlyweds. And Israel said, oh, I don't know about this. Uh, anybody else out there? Is there another God somewhere? Moses comes down off the mountain. We know the story. He begs for mercy. Chapter 34. He recites to God the 13 attributes of God. He says, you are compassionate. You are gracious. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. You're abundant in truth. You show mercy to a thousand generations. You forgive iniquity. You forgive transgressions. You forgive sins. By no means do you leave the guilty unpunished. 11, bring, you bring the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children on the, to the third and the fourth generations. Please, God, have mercy on this people. You've courted them for 450 years. In the Haftorah portion this morning, we read 1 Samuel 15, 22. Does Adonai delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obedience, obeying the voice of Adonai? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to pay heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and stubbornness, like iniquity and idolatry. And that's what they had just done. They had committed idolatry. Chapter 35, verse 21, it says, Everyone whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit was willing, came and brought Adonai offerings because they felt so guilty. They brought everything. God, if God is going to forgive us, for bring him the gold. Bring him. They brought bracelets. Next page. Uh, blue and purple scarlet, fine linen, goat hair, ram skin dyed red. Everyone who could brought Adonai's offering, and every man who had acacia wood that was of any use would bring it for service. Chapter 36, verse 3. They received from Moses the entire offering, and the skilled men said, it's enough. We have more than enough to build the sanctuary. 
to build the Mishkan. Chapter 36, verse 5. The people are bringing much more than enough. Please tell them to stop. And so Moses ordered them to stop. Numbers chapter 13, verse 4. We see a list of the 10, 12, I'm sorry, 12 spies that were sent into the land. And I'm just going to point out Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who was, it's reported by some, it's debated on what tribe he was from, but a lot of people say he was a Edomite, which would make him a Gentile. And Joshua, the son of Nun. Let's skip the next page. Chapter 20, verse 27. They gave their, this is the report that came back from the ten tribes. There it is. They gave their account to him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. This is some of its fruit. They should have stopped there. Should have stopped there. Except the people living in the land are powerful. Their cities are fortified. We even saw the sons of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Canaanites. Caleb, verse 30, pops up and says, We should definitely go up and capture the land, for we can certainly do it. We can certainly accomplish this. Verse 31, but the ten men said, we cannot attack these people because they are stronger than we are. Who was going to fight them? El Shaddai was going to fight them. El Shaddai was going to take them on. He's going to take them out. El Shaddai had already told him he was going to do that. And you know what? They didn't believe him. They were believers. They didn't believe him. They spread a bad report about the land, and all the people we saw were men of great size. So what? El Shaddai is going to take them out. We also saw the Nephilim, the giants. And 40 years of judgment came down upon them. Now, Moses again comes before God and begs, begs for the children of Israel. You and I, listen to this, listen to me very carefully. Most of you probably know 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Okay. Same God. I do not change. That's the same God, okay? Numbers chapter 14, verse 19. Forgive now the guiltiness of this people in accordance with the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have pardoned the people from Egypt until now. Verse 20. Adonai answered, I have forgiven them, just as you've spoken. Wow. Tragedy averted. Well, not exactly. But as certainly as I live, and as certainly as the glory of Adonai fills the entire earth, none of the people who saw my glory and my miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet tested me these ten times, did not obey my voice, not one of them will see the land I promised to their forefathers. None of those who treated me with contempt will see it. God is no fool. God is merciful. God forgives sins. God has a plan for your life and for my life. And because of unbelief, we screw it up. God has plans to prosper us. God has plans to bless us. God wants to do good things for us in our lives, in our children's lives. He wants to be active in our lives every day single day. Forty years later, Joshua, chapter 2, verse 1, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to explore out the land, especially Jericho. 
and they came and they lodged at Rahab's house. She brought them up on the roof and she hid them. Chapter 2, verse 8. She came up to the roof and she said, I know, this is 40 years after Egypt, 40 years. I know that Adonai has given you the land. What? Jebusites? Hivites? Gergeshites? Canaanites? I know that God has given you the land. Dread of you has fallen on us and all the... Just like God said. God said, there's going to be dread fall on them. They're going to be terrified of you. Because they're going to hear about everything I did in Egypt. Dread has fallen on us. All the inhabitants of the land are melting in fear before you. We are fixing to run and hide. Because you're here. You're finally here. We heard you were coming and you're finally here. We heard how Adonai dried up the water of the Sea of Reeds before you. We, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Chapter 211. When we heard about the Exodus, our hearts melted and no spirit remained anymore in any of us because of you. Well, this is the testimony of a Canaanite woman. For Adonai, your God, he is God. In heaven above and earth beneath. The stumbling block that was in the Garden of Eden. The stumbling block that was before them crossing the desert. The stumbling block that were caused that that, that came to them when, when they realized Moses was gone. When the, the stumbling block when the spies made the bad report, the stumbling block when you and I face unemployment. The stumbling block when we have problems that we can't understand is we don't believe. We don't believe he's capable of taking care of us. And we speak curses over our own heads. God says, fear not. Do you know what? This is, this is one of those nuggets. 14,400 days God provided manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness. The disciples come to him and they say, Master, teach us to pray. And what does he say? Pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's the same God. He will take care of us. We have nothing to fear. I'm going to share. Oh, yeah. The Almighty says, Numbers 23, 19. You've heard this before. You know this. God is not a man who lies. Or the Son of Man who changes his mind. Does he speak and then not do it or promise and not fulfill it? Hebrews 13, 8. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. When God makes a law, when God makes a commandment, it's for our good. He doesn't do it to taunt us. He doesn't do it to irritate us. He gives those laws to set us free. To set us free to be slaves of him. Yeshua came saying, all authority. Power of El Shaddai. Creator of heaven and earth. The one who creates mountains and destroys kingdoms. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I am passing it on to you, by the way. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. He was an Orthodox Jew. Jesus was. He was orthodox. He did everything that the law commanded him to do. He says, I want you to teach them everything that I've done. I want them to obey everything, even to the end of the age. Three takeaways. Believe what God has told you. My sheep hear my voice. He talks to us. Are you listening? Everything we have, everything we have, there is nothing that is ours. 
not a thing. Our time, our talent, our funds, it's not ours. Not ours to keep. And God is more interested in who you become than what you accomplish. He wants you to reflect who Yeshua is. I'm going to take I'm going to take a minute here, a couple of minutes, and tell you how God worked in my life. I want you to know when I was 13 years old, I gave my my life to God to be a missionary. For the next 10 years, I was doing preparation. I went overseas and served God for six years in missions. Came back in 1978. Now, while we were there, while we were in Africa. Remember Ebola? Okay. We had Ebola where we were, within a few miles of where we were. The World Health Organization quarantined where we were. The Africans said to us, oh, you white masungos, you got nothing to worry about. You're going to be out of here. If, if, if this disease gets here, you'll be gone. You get on a plane, you'll be gone. They didn't know. The World Health Organization wouldn't, wouldn't let anybody leave. <clears throat> when we went to Africa the first time, we raised all of our money in three months. The mission said, nobody does that. Nobody does that. I got back from Africa. We spent a year trying to raise additional funds. We could not raise any money. I looked around and I said, God, where are you? I didn't believe and then I had the audacity to say, God, you didn't take care of my family very well. I can do better than that. God said, okay, go try. Went through several different businesses. Finally, in... 2005, I was in the financial business, and the government in one night made my business illegal. I lost everything. Lost everything. And I thought, well, that's, that's okay. I mean, I'll, I've, I'm resilient. I can bounce back. I'll, I've got a license to do uh, securities. I've got a license to do mortgages. I've got a license to do insurance. I've got a license to uh, do financial counseling. I'll just turn my resume, somebody's going to snap me up like that. Seven years. I said to my wife after about a year, she was still working, I said to my wife after a year, I said, you know, honey, um, we better pack some boxes. I don't know when we're going to leave this house in the middle of the night. So we got a room, we packed boxes, and we filled that room about so deep with boxes, stuff we didn't need. Faithful God, faithful God teaching me. 2010, I got a job, and I thought, wow, famine's finally over. I went to work. Middle of the night, six days a week, busting concrete, putting new concrete in in parking lots. Not a glorious job, but it was a job. Long story short, I had that job for eight months. And it ended. I thought, what on earth is this about? I went home, fasting and praying, asking God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to teach me? Stretch out on the bed. I had a pain right here. God, what is that? Oh, I know what that is. Nurses know what that is. And I checked my insurance, of course, my insurance. I'd gotten insurance for the first time in five years. Just boom, came, came with the job. So I had insurance coverage, and it was fixing to lapse, but I had COBRA supposed to come. So I called the company that had laid me off, and they said, oh, we're sorry, we, you were supposed to get paperwork on COBRA. You didn't get the paperwork? So they changed my dates and everything like so that they'd be legal, and they, they uh, sent me the COBRA paperwork. I went into the hospital that next that night, and they had surgery the next morning for appendicitis. They took out the appendix and they did a 
dying. They did a what did they do that? The lab, whatever they biopsy. Yes, thank you, thank you. They did that, and they came back four or five days later and they said, "Oh, by the way, Dan, you've been healthy most of your life." I said, "Yeah." Well, you've got colon cancer. It takes your breath away. It does. You say, God, are you out there somewhere? 80,000 dollars worth of surgeries. No recurrence. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Turns out I was seven years without regular steady employment. And God was teaching me. We never missed a mortgage payment in those seven years. We never missed a meal in seven years. Faithful God, who carried Israel across the desert, could take care of Dan Moron in the midst of unemployment, in the midst of life. Why am I telling you this? Because our greatest sin, my greatest sin, was not believing that God could take care of me. God wants us to be all in. God wants you. He is all in. Okay? He sent his son to be all in. You can't get any further in than Jesus was, than Yeshua was. Okay? He is all in. He gave us the Holy Spirit to seal us. He seals us as a promise for eternity. You say, I'm a believer. I'm trusting God for eternity. Well, what about for tomorrow? Yeah, you can trust Him for tomorrow too. Amen? Amen. Amen.